Losing defensive line coach Jamar Kane isn't just an on-the-field hit to the LSU football team. It's taking a hit off the field as well. You are Locked On LSU, your daily podcast on the LSU Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Plus, we are on YouTube as well, so make sure to check us out on YouTube. My name is Caroline Fenton, and I am your host, as I am every day. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CarolineFenton1. You can follow along uh, the podcast at Locked on LSU. Always appreciate you for being here. Always appreciate you for interacting, liking, commenting, subscribing, all of that good stuff. And as always, I appreciate you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every single day. So the big news coming out, defensive line coach Jamar Kane will be leaving LSU to pursue an opportunity in the NFL. He was just hired as a pass rush specialist with the Denver Broncos. Let me just say, wish Jamar Kane nothing but the best. Denver got better because of Jamar Kane. Um, and I know that he'll continue to do even better things in the NFL. So Jamar Kane came to LSU in 2022. He joined Brian Kelly's staff. He initially followed Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma to USC. Jamar Kane spent a stint in Norman, Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley at the University of Oklahoma in a similar role defensive as a defensive coach. Was going to follow him to USC. Then, of course, obviously, joined Brian Kelly's staff at LSU. He was an uh, outside linebacker and defensive ends coach at Oklahoma for the two for two years prior to joining LSU. And it's going to be a hit to LSU losing Jamar Kane. And it's in, in several different reasons. Number one, obviously you're losing a continuity on your coaching staff. You're losing a really solid member on your coaching staff. You're losing a part of your coaching staff that helped elevate your defense year over year. If you, if you just look, LSU in 2021, in terms of total defense, ranked 70th in college football. In 2022, that leaped to 34th. 34th ranked in college football in terms of total defense isn't necessarily flashy or really you know what you would expect this, this LSU defense to be in terms of the rest of the college football. You, you expect LSU to be up in top 10, top 15, but still, Rome wasn't built in a day. And the jump... From 70 to 34 in college football, is it means something. And no, Jamar Kane wasn't the only factor that led LSU's defense to being much better and much more efficient from 2021 to 2022. You have to give credit to Robert Steeples. You have to give credit, obviously, to the defensive coordinator, Matt House. But I would be remiss to not mention Jamar Kane at least being a part of that and being a part of that coaching unit. And Jacoby and Guillory. Of course, a senior member, a veteran member of this defensive line was asked about the difference from 2021 to 2022, what the difference was. This was Jacoby and Guillory over the weekend. Coming from one defense and now to a different scheme in their house, you talked about how comfortable you are. I guess to you, what made that defense strive so much better? And what made y'all during the season last year take that massive leap from 2021 to 2022? I guess like at first, like last spring, around this time last year, we weren't completely completely bought in but as the summer went on we started buying in the fall came on we, we bought in 
the season got here, we did stuff Coach Houseway. Like, we bought all the way in. So that's what I think the biggest jump from 21 to 22 is, like, just, just buying all the way in and, like, you know, I'm just being like, like, like every day, Coach House says, do your 111. We got 11 guys on the field. Every guy has to do their one job. And, we, and, you know what I'm saying, that's really how defense works. Everybody do their one little job, we good. And while the underlying framework of the defense remains in Matt House, while the, you know, the, the king of the defense in Matt House, that remains, you know, your defensive coordinator, the foundation of the defense, that's going to stay there. And that's something that Jacoby and Hillary mentioned is, is Matt House, Matt House, Matt House, buying into Matt House. But I think that the sentiment can kind of trickle down to positional coaches as well. Jacoby and Hillary is a player that absolutely adored Jamar Kane. He said that he cried when he heard the news that Jamar Kane was going to be leaving LSU. He said they kind of butted heads a little bit at the beginning. That Jamar Kane really pushed Jacoby and Guillory really hard. It was really tough on Jacoby and Guillory. But he, Jacoby and Guillory said, hey, he was trying to untap the potential that hadn't been untapped yet. He was hard on me because he saw something in me. And the, the harder and harder he was on me, the more and more I saw that come to fruition on the football field. He was tough on me. He pushed me. It made me mad. It made me angry. But ultimately, it made me better. And I think that's the sign of a good coach. As a good, as a good coach isn't one that tries to be your best friend. A good coach isn't one that tries to be popular in the locker room. A good coach notices potential. A good coach notices talent and pushes that player, even when it might not be easy, even when it might not be the popular decision, pushes that player to get to that next step and to unlock that next level that they have. And so I think that's a testament to Jamar Kane. And back to what Jacoby and Guillory said about the buy-in, I think that's a natural thing that happens whenever you have a coaching staff turnover. And of course, the coaching staff turnover that this team experienced from 2021 to 2022 is going to be so much more massive and have such a more massive impact than just, you know, your defensive line coach leaving and filling that spot. But I think the same sentiment remains of whenever there's change, whenever there's coaching turnover at, at, at any form or fashion, there's going to be a little bit of a of a learning curve. There's going to be a little bit of a, a getting acclimated period for both the coaches you know, the coach needs to get acclimated to this new job. What's the team at? What kind of talent do I have to work with? And also for the players as well. We would be remiss to think that all of these players, you can just change out coaches every single day, every single year, every single week, whatever it may be, and then they can just hop right on board right away. No, I mean, they're human too. And losing Jamar Kane now during spring practice isn't ideal. Losing Jamar Kane at all isn't ideal. But losing Jamar Kane in March during spring practice isn't the end of the world. If this would have happened in June or July, things would have been a lot more pressing. They would have had a, a lot more of a sense of urgency. I think there would have been a little bit more of a panic going through the, the room. And not to say that Jamar Kane would jump ship in June or July or that there would be an NFL team that would still be continuing to hire coaches into that time. But you get the point that, you know, you now have time to go out and find Jamar Kane's replacement. You now have time to go through that vetting process and that interview process and find the right guy. This defensive line, let's talk about the, the coaching staff that just went through a massive overhaul. The defensive line is going through an overhaul as well. The defensive line as an entire group is going through an talent evaluation process to figure out, okay, which transfers can come in and fit right away, which can contribute right away. 
you know, which members of this defensive line are going to fill that Jack linebacker position. Um, what are we going to do with some of these young guys that do have a lot of talent? That's something that Brian Kelly mentioned in his last press conference. The last time he spoke with the media after spring practice was we were really, really pleased and blown away by some of the potential of our young guys and how far along they are right now. So it, you're going to have to get someone in here to evaluate the roster, to evaluate the talent, and then move forward with practice and how they want to fit into Matt House's defense. You have time, but the process is going to have to start rolling. You're going to have to get the ball rolling. So who are some options that can replace Jamar Kane? We'll get into that coming up next. But before we do that, I want to tell you about Built, about Built Bar because Built March Madness is finally here. We know you've got a favorite bar or puff just like I do. And now is your favorite, now is the time rather, to make that count. So go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know that I will be voting for the peanut butter brownie. The peanut butter brownie bar is my favorite. I talk about it all the time on here. It's delicious. And if you want the LSU Tigers women's team to win, then you will be voting for that bar too. So support your team, support the Tigers, and support your favorite bar or puff. And when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners will get a free box of Built. Not only that, but one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You've got to try Built. Built the best protein bar ever. It seriously is so amazing. They are so delicious. You won't know that they're good for you because they're covered in 100% real chocolate, but also they're high in protein. They're low in sugar. They're covered in 100% real chocolate, but also good for you. So run to builtmarchmadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every single day in March. So hop in and support your pick. Well, thanks again for making Lock and LSU your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. But check us out on YouTube as well. We're on your preferred podcast platform. You can also go to YouTube, hit that subscribe button, and you'll get notified as soon as Locked on LSU drops. Jamar Kane, defensive line coach at LSU, exits Baton Rouge, heads to Denver, Colorado to be a pass rush specialist in Denver. And that leaves a massive hole. It leaves a hole for two reasons. Because obviously – you're, you're going to take a hit on the field. Obviously, that defensive line room is going to undergo some adjustment, which is never easy, especially considering how many leaps and bounds forward this defense has taken in this past year. Well, it's not just due to Jamar Kane. He's a big part of it. The second part of that, of the hit that this LSU team is going to take, is the role that Jamar Kane played in recruiting. His value in, def in, in in recruiting defensive players, I don't think can be understated because you look at some of the players that LSU has brought in as edge rushers, you know, true pass rushers are on the defensive line. Jamar Kane played a pivotal role in bringing some of those players in. Jamar Kane has such a, a good pulse on the entire country uh, in terms of recruiting, which is so key whenever Brian Kelly's mantra and in his goals in terms of building this team is while Louisiana and the Southeast is going to be our priority 1A, we're not ignoring players around the country. And that this 2023 class shows you look at Deshaun Womack, a five-star edge rusher, five-star defensive lineman out of the state of Maryland, the number one recruit out of the state of Maryland. Well, Jamar Kane played a pivotal role and played a massive role in recruiting Deshaun Womack. You look at Jackson Howard, a four-star edge rusher, in this 2023 class out of Minnesota, he's the number one recruit out of the state of Minnesota. 
Jamar Cain's fingerprints are also all over Jackson Howard's recruitment. So that is going to take a big hit as well, is not having Jamar Cain's influence helping LSU recruit. So how do you replace that? How do you replace a guy who was so pivotal on the field and also so pivotal off the field as well? Well, let's look at some options that the that LSU has available in front of them. The first question is, do you want to stay in-house or do you want to – is there some guy out of house that you're looking at? If you want to look in-house, which is something that Brian Kelly has done, of course, promoting John Jancic from an off-the-field role into a more hands-on on-the-field role as the Jack linebacker coach and special teams coordinator. That's something that Brian Kelly has shown that he is not opposed to doing, is promoting from within. So that's my number one question is, is John Jancic even on the table? I mean, John Jancic has a very long resume as a defensive coach in college football. We know that he played for Brian Kelly at Grand Valley State. He followed Brian Kelly for a good bit of his career. And then John Jancic was a defensive coordinator at Tennessee. He was a defensive quality coach at, at Georgia in 2020 and 2021, you know, two of the best defenses in college football at the time. So, I mean, John Jancic has spent the last 20, 30 years as a defensive coach in college football. Now, Brian Kelly, when he spoke with the media about John Jancic's role and what he'll be, he'll be, what his role is as the giant Jack linebacker coach, Brian Kelly said, you know, we want somebody that is totally dedicated to that role. We want somebody whose sole role defensively, because we know that's not John Jancic's sole role. He'll also be the special teams coordinator. He wanted somebody that was hyper-focused on that one position. So that leads me to believe that John Jancic likely is not a candidate for the defensive line, that they're going to leave him in that Jack linebacker role, let him hyper-specialize on that one role, at least defensively, and find another defensive line coach. But if you want to stay in-house, John Jancic is somebody that I think could be on the table, but I wouldn't put my money on it. But a name that I, I would continue to follow to see if that role will be expanded even more. What would that mean for a special teams coordinator role? I don't know if you can be a defensive line coach and a special teams coordinator. Kind of seems like a whole lot to undertake. So that kind of leads me to believe that combined with his role with the Jack linebackers leads me to believe that's probably not in his future. But a name I'm looking at nonetheless. The second in-house candidate that I think could be very interesting and one that you should keep an eye on is Gerald Chapman, who is a defensive analyst for LSU now currently. And that name might sound familiar because Gerald Chapman came back to LSU for the 2023 season after a stint under Ed Orgeron. So in 2021, he was a defensive analyst under Ed Orgeron. Brian Kelly wanted to retain him when he took over in 2022, but Gerald Chapman wanted to pursue a more on-the-field, hands-on role. So he took on a um, an on-the-field role with Tulane and then pivoted very quickly to Colorado. So in 2022, he spent um, the entire season as a defensive line coach and the interim defensive coordinator position at Colorado whenever they underwent that coaching change in the middle of the season this past year. So Gerald Chapman said this past year, as an on-the-field coach, he returned to LSU in January to take on a defensive analyst position again. Um, so that is one name in-house who has defensive line experience, who's been at LSU, who has a good pulse on recruiting around the area and understands the the area, understands the uh, understands the culture. So that's one thing. I, I would be remiss to point out that Colorado had the uh, to not point out rather. Colorado had the worst defense in college football this past year dead last 131st ranked defense in college football so was that 
the defensive coordinator before he came in? Was that the coaching staff before he came in? Was that the players, just the quality of players they had in comparison to some of the competition that Colorado was playing this past year? I don't know. I'm not an expert on Colorado football. I'll never claim to be. I honestly don't even know if I watched a single Colorado football game this past season. But that is something to look at is while, Ge- while Gerald Chapman was is a, is a defensive analyst that Brian Kelly obviously values since he wanted to, to retain him. He wasn't a defensive analyst that Brian Kelly valued enough to award an on-the-field role. He came back to LSU in an off-the-field role. Is that one year at Colorado as the defensive line coach enough to make him qualified at LSU? That's a question that I ask, but I still think that he would be a very um, interesting candidate to keep in mind, at least in terms of in-house candidates. But let's look at out-of-house candidates, because I think that this is probably one that I look at that I'm like, yep, cha-ching, 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 box check, box check, box check, like all of the, the things, at least in, in my list of qualifications that I would look for for the future defensive line coach, this would check them. And that is with Mike Elston, who is the current defensive line coach and recruiting coordinator at Michigan. Now, on the surface there, just based off of his job titles, Mike Elston would check the boxes that Jamar Cain did. Defensive line coach at a Power 5 school for a really solid team under a a great head coach, one coach that I think is regarded pretty unanimously as one of the top 10 coaches in college football. And also, he's a hell of a recruiter hell of a recruiter. Michigan always has some of the top recruiting classes in the country. And let's keep in mind, he's only been there for one year. But the fact that he has been named a recruiting coordinator, I think is a testament to how well he can recruit and how well-respected and how good of a reputation he has around the country. But I think the other thing is he's got ties and roots that run deep with Brian Kelly. He goes all the way back to um to central michigan with brian kelly all the way back to 2004 when he was the defensive line coach and co-defensive coordinator at central michigan with brian kelly from 2004 to 2006 he then followed brian kelly to cincinnati where he served as a defensive coordinator linebackers coach defensive line coach wore a whole lot of different hats at cincinnati from 2007 to 2009 followed Brian Kelly again to Notre Dame, where he spent the entirety of Brian Kelly's career in Notre Dame with him. From 2010 to 2021, he was a defensive line coach, linebackers coach, you know, all co-defensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. He was, you know, played a lot of different roles at Notre Dame under Brian Kelly. So he's been with Brian Kelly, or he, he coached under Brian Kelly from 2004 to 2021 at three different stops. I mean, the the underlying respect is there. The relationship is there. And Brian Kelly knows Mike Allison has worked with him long enough that he would feel comfortable bringing him in and kind of not skipping a beat where we lose Jamar Kane, you bringing in uh, Mike Allison. And of course, I don't think that the recruiting ties can, can go overlooked as well. Brian Kelly wanted him at LSU. He wanted to bring Mike Allison with him from South Bend to Baton Rouge Mike Elston went to Michigan. He played at Michigan. He decided to opt to coach at his alma mater instead. The the key here is, is Mike Elston willing to leave Michigan? That's where he went to school. That was his alma mater. I don't know him at all. I can only imagine that was probably a dream job of his is to go back to Michigan. Um, I don't know that for certain, but it's just, you know, who wouldn't want to go back to their alma mater? So would he be willing to leave Michigan and 
fill that same role, you know, not a promotion, not a demotion, but the exact same role at LSU, but leave his alma mater doing it. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but that to me, Mike Elston would be, you know, candidate 1A just based off of his qualifications and his history. But coming up next, what an exciting and historic weekend for Kim Mulkey and this LSU women's basketball team because we are headed to the final four, baby. We'll get into all of that and recap the weekend of women's basketball that we had over the weekend. We'll get into that coming up next. But before we do that, I want to tell you about FanDuel. I can't say enough good things about FanDuel. And the tournament is heating up. We're getting into the final four. And there is no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And that's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and sign up today to get that no sweat first bet. And then you can wager on everything. You can do money line, point spreads, which team you think will be cutting down the net, both in the men's and women's tournament. It's all of that on an app that is safe, that is secure, and it is also super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NCAA. Well, that's it, everyone. LSU is headed to the Final Four for the first time since 2008. LSU absolutely dominated that Miami team in the Elite Eight. It was a comfortable lead, really, from the beginning. They played hard. They played tough. Gosh, this LSU team just plays oh so freaking tough. And that is something that so many teams that have played LSU have said, like, man, that is one of the most physical and tough teams that we have played all year long. And that's ultimately what has propelled them to where they are now. It's first program bid to the Final Four since 2008. And if you noticed at the end of the game, there were clips of Angel Reese getting drawn a, a, a ring on her ring finger at the end of the game. And I noticed, you know, I, when they were talking about that, they were showing that and Angel Reese was putting up her ring finger. I noticed a lot of the other girls and her, and her teammates, women rather, excuse me, her teammates also had remnants of that ring as well. Angel Reese was asked about what that was, the story behind it, and it just gets me so freaking fired up. This was Angel Reese asked about the Sharpie ring on her ring finger at the end of the game. Angel, I saw you a few times late in the game there point to your ring finger quite adamantly and then the Sharpie on the broadcast. Can you tell us about that? Coach Bob Starkey, and before our game started, he put a Sharpie mark on everyone's finger that they wanted. And he told us that every missed shot you had, every backdoor, if you missed a layup, anything, just look at that finger and know, next play, this is what you're built for. And this is what we want. So he wrote that on everybody's finger, and we pointed at that every single time. We messed up, did something wrong, or even just a good thing. So we were just super happy and super excited and had a lot of fun tonight. So Bob Starkey, of course, a legendary women's head basketball coach at LSU. He coached the last Final Four team in 2007, and he coached Sylvia Fowles, Simone Augustus. I mean, some of the, the greats, when you think of some of the best female athletes, when you think of some of the best athletes in LSU history, Bob Starkey coached the, female, the women's basketball players. So, I mean... To have his presence in the locker room and for Kim Mulkey to you know, be paying homage to some of the greatest women's teams of all time at this school, I think is so cool. And I think, you know, having Bob Starkey as a 
as a motivator on the bench, as a, as a mind to bounce things off of. I think those are all key. But little things like that, things to keep this team motivated, I think is so key. And I think it's what makes this team so special. Yeah, they're tough. Yeah, they play hard. Yeah, they play good defense. Yeah, they've been lights out offensively. Maybe not against Miami. That wasn't the prettiest offensive game to watch. But it's the fact that they are so fired up, that they have a fire brewing within them, and they have all season long. They've been playing with a chip on their shoulder. That They've been playing like they have something to prove. And they've been playing like they have something to play for. And it's exactly that. It's exactly what Angel Reese just mentioned. When they're playing for a ring. They're playing to get it all. Like they're not just playing to get the Elite Eight. They're not just playing to take down the Nets and for a Final Four hat at the end of the, the Elite Eight after beating Miami. They're playing to win it all. And that kind of spunk, that kind of pizzazz, that kind of fire, that's the personality of this LSU women's basketball team. That's Kim Mulkey's personality. That's Flo J. Johnson's personality. That's Angel Reese's personality. And you can tell it's trickled down to the rest of the team and it's trickled down to the fan base as well. I think every LSU fan has been so fired up about this LSU women's team because they want it bad. And I'm proud of this team. I'm so damn proud of this team. For, you know, LSU women's basketball program has been so lackluster over the last, you know, five, ten-ish years under Nikki Fargus. And no disrespect to Nikki Fargus. She's a, a, a woman and a coach and a basketball player that I respect very much. It just wasn't inspiring. It wasn't a team that I wanted to talk about. It wasn't a team that I necessarily, you know, made an appointment watching. I always supported those teams, of course. Of course you're going to. But it just was never, it never commanded the buy-in quite like these teams do. And they're motivated. They are ready. They want a ring. They got Sharpie rings. They're ready to get diamond rings now. And I'm, I'm incredibly proud of this team and this program. And I have to give Kim Loki credit. It's not easy to turn a program around with the speed with which Kim Mulkey has. In her second year, and she brings this team to its first Final Four in the last 15, 20 years, that's pretty damn impressive. That's pretty darn impressive. That's going to do it for me today. Thank you for making Lockdown LSU your first listen today. For your second listen, as always, check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything that you need to know on and off the court. Plus, you can hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.